Uh, So if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn them to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read in a moment from verse 10 all the way through to uh, verse 20. But if I was... uh, well. If I was to ask you a question this morning, um, if I was to ask you the question, how much do you earn? Or even, even, even more than that, if I was to ask you a question, how much do you give? Like, for us in our culture, like, that's rude. Like, there's something so uncomfortable about the topic of giving, about the topic of giving and we as a culture I believe hate talking about it hate with a passion we feel so uncomfortable about it Uh, and I think there's several reasons why as a culture we feel even as a Christian culture we feel uncomfortable with the topic of giving I think in part it's because of the prosperity gospel you know the health and wealth and prosperity gospels, that idea of somehow if you trust in Jesus, he'll make you rich gospel. We feel uncomfortable because of that. I think we feel uncomfortable because of guilt trips and manipulation where people make us feel so guilty about how we use our money. Uh, But God's word talks, talks about it. It talks about giving. Jesus talks about it. Jesus talks about it. And so we must, as a church, deal with this issue of giving, which we come to this morning. I've got a a quote from Tim Keller, who I think he just puts it so well. He says, Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex, yet almost no one thinks they are guilty of it. Therefore, we should all begin with a working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. If greed hides itself so deeply, no one should be confident that it is not a problem for them. How can we recognize and become free from the power of money to blind us? I think for me, that's so true, isn't it? I'm not inclined to think of myself as someone who's a greedy person, and yet Jesus, our Lord, teaches so much about it in his word. And so we come this morning to look at the issue of giving and and generosity. So why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read from uh, verse 10 all the way through to verse 20. Philippians 4.10 I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I've learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gifts, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, 
a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this this morning we come before your word with an uncomfortable topic, topic of giving, a topic that for all of us is hard and difficult. And Lord, we pray this morning as we examine your word that you would help us to hear it, that you would help us to live by it, and that as a result, Jesus would be lifted up. And pray this in his name. Amen. Well, giving, generosity. You know, this, this week I've been thinking quite a bit about it and uh, thinking about our city. And some time ago, I shared uh, with you guys, you might remember, about a little problem I have, a problem that I call house lust. Um, Oftentimes I find myself uh, out on a prayer walk maybe and praying and asking the Lord for help or talking about, you know, trying to just talk to God and lift up before things, uh, him things I'm anxious about. And as I wander around, you know, Norman Hurst and Thornley, I'll just every so often stop and just be completely distracted as I stare at a beautiful house. And suddenly I'm just struck and I just notice all these details, the beautiful driveway and the you know, neatly trimmed hedge and the beautiful car parked out the front and the light will shine on it and it'll just sort of twinkle and I just start thinking, wow, isn't she beautiful? Isn't she gorgeous? And I start to imagine myself, my, myself and my wife Charlotte in there and, you know, in the future with our kids and I see myself, you know, mowing the lawn and, and just thinking my, my, my life will be amazing if only I could live in this house. And suddenly my prayers have gone out the window because I'm struggling with this, this problem, this house lust. Um, Sydney, you see, I don't know if you relate at all, is an expensive city, isn't it? It's a very expensive city. It's, in fact, according to a recent report this year, uh, Sydney has jumped to, on the list of most expensive cities in the world to live in, number five. The fifth most expensive city to live in in the entire world. A very expensive city. And for many of us, we can feel far from being rich. In fact, we can feel like we're just kind of getting through, thank you very much. I mean, I know I can feel that way. I'll put to you this morning that even though we might not feel that we're rich, uh, in fact, just by nature of living here, we are. We are very rich. You know, this week I've been reading about uh, the wealthiest people in the world. And in fact, we make it into the top 5% of the wealthiest people on the face of the earth. You know, if you make it into that bracket of 
the wealthiest 5% of people in the world, you earn, on average, 114 times as much as the poorest 5% in the world. There are, in this world, uh, I found out this week, 2.8 billion people who live on two US dollars or less per day. That's 40% of the world, two dollars or less. And some of us might see that and think, well, you know, I've travelled a bit overseas, it's a bit cheaper to live overseas as well, and that's true, but it all comes down to it. It's, it's most obviously seen when we start to break down what percentage of people's income do they spend just on food. You know, of disposable income in Sydney, people on average spend about 15% on food. Uh, but if you take it across to the Philippines, they spend 50% just on food. If you take it across to another country, uh, Sri Lanka, they spend two-thirds of their income, on average, just on food. I was thinking about this this week and um, I was just struck with, when was the last time I worried about having money for food? I mean, this is not a worry for me. I might think about or, or be concerned about the type of food that I'd like to eat, but having enough food is never a concern. Or having a place to live. Or having affordable health care. Uh, these are things in this country we just don't have to worry about. We, even though we might not feel it, are in fact rich. In fact, not only do we live in one of the most expensive cities to live in in the whole of this world, we live in one of the richest parts of the most expensive cities, one of the most expensive cities to live in in the whole world. You know, last week Dave talked about two tests that uh, Paul brings to us from the book of Philippians. He talks about knowing how to be brought low, uh, the test of poverty. And he talks about knowing to be content and how to live with having much, the test of prosperity. And I would put it to us this morning that there are two tests, but for us as a church, I think for us living in city, the question we are facing is really, how can we walk through the test of abundance, the test of prosperity with faithfulness to God. You know, the church in Philippi, in some senses, was very different from us because the church in Philippi was dirt poor. But in some senses, the church in Philippi that we read about this morning was very similar to us. And that is because they were very generous. We are a very generous church, like the church in Philippi. And we can begin to think, I might think, surely God has nothing further to say. I mean, what could God have further to say to the church in Philippi? They're so generous. But yet still, Paul pauses to address this generous church about giving. And us as well. Because I think he wants us to see an opportunity that we have in our giving. So the title of this message this morning, for those who take notes, is The God Who Is generous. And really I have a hope for us about that opportunity. I want us to see this morning, I want myself to see by way of reminder, I want us all to see that in giving we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to experience God's generosity. 
I'm going to look at four different points, four ways in which we can experience God's generosity. You know, Paul is going to encourage the Philippians. He's going to help them to see it's not about the money. It's about God's glory in our hearts. It's an opportunity to experience God's generosity. Well, let's move to our first point this morning. And that is, giving is an opportunity to partner in gospel work. See, last week, I think uh, Dave explained to us so well um, as he helped us to see the joy Paul, uh, the Philippians, or Paul felt in seeing the Philippians' concern for him again. He says, you know, I'm so encouraged, I'm rejoicing again that you've revived for your concern for me. You see, the Philippians had seen an opportunity to bless Paul and they'd pounced on it and they'd given him this monetary gift. And Paul is clear, he says, look, it's not about the gift. I don't need the gift. I've learnt the secret of being content. I've learnt how to be content. I've learnt the secret of contentment regardless of circumstance. It doesn't matter whether I'm abounding and have much. It doesn't matter if, uh, if I'm poor and brought low. It doesn't matter if I'm hungry or filled. I've learnt the secret, and that is in Christ and in knowing Him. You know, earlier Paul had said in, in Philippians chapter 3, he'd said that he counts everything in his life as rubbish apart from knowing Christ as his Lord and Saviour. And really sums up beautifully what was precious to Paul. If I have Jesus, Paul says, I've got everything. I've got absolutely everything. Well, let's uh, read our passage specifically, which is beginning at verse 14. Paul says, verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. It was kind of you to share. Even though I didn't need it, says Paul, literally, but you did the right thing to share in my trouble, in my affliction, in my suffering. Even though I didn't, do, I didn't need it, Philippians, you did the right thing in sharing with me in my trouble. The word share here Paul uses is whether we most commonly translate or often would translate as fellowship. It was kind of you to fellowship with me. It was kind of you to partner with me, to participate with me, to commune with me. It means sharing something in common. It means joining a mutual endeavor. Fellowship, it's not, it's not just hanging out. It's not having a cuppa or a meal together, or holding hands and singing kumbaya. That's not, that's not what Paul is talking about when he talks about sharing and talks about fellowshipping with. He's talking about enjoying Jesus together. He's talking about walking together with people to make Jesus known. He's talking about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known together. That's what Paul means by this word share, this word fellowship, partnership. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. And yet you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership, it's that word again, fellowship with me, in giving and receiving except you only. He says in the beginning of 
the gospel literally, he means in the beginning of my gospel mission, uh, as I went out, no one entered into fellowship with me. No one entered into this partnership with me. But just pay attention to what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say no one supported me. He doesn't say no one financed or helped me. No one assisted me. No one sponsored me. He says, no, 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 guys, you and me, we were partners. We were in this together. We were in this tight relationship of giving and receiving. They were partners. And just like business partners share in profit, gospel partners share in fruit. They shared this fruit together. Well, why is this important? Well, I want to ask us a question this morning, and that is, do you think of yourself as a partner in the spread of the gospel in this local church? partner in the spread of the gospel in this local church? I think most of us would say, yeah, of course, yeah, I'm a gospel partner. Uh, I'm a partner in spreading the gospel in this church. But I think for a lot of us, we wouldn't really understand, well, what does that look like? What does that mean to be a partner in the gospel? You see, the Philippians, they were given everything towards it. That's what partnership looked like for them. They were giving their time. They were giving their money. They were giving their best people. They were absolutely all in. And not only were they giving, they were receiving. They were seeing fruit of the gospel as the gospel traveled throughout Jerusalem and Asia and Europe and they were experiencing this rich joy in seeing the gospel go forward. You see, I think the problem is that our culture, even the Christian culture, that we live in, has a kind of consumer mentality when it comes to church. A consumeristic culture. I think we can begin to, to say, oh yeah, well, I'm a partner. Of course I'm a partner. I'm a partner in the gospel in this church. But, but next week, you know what? It's, it's, my, it's my niece's first birthday party, so probably not going to make it. Or it's a charity event, or you know what? I'm, I'm running a race, or... Uh, my neighbor's kids christening, or I'm going on a bushwalk, or I'm spending some time with the kids. Uh, it's my mate's bucks night on Saturday night, so I'm probably going to be too tired for church on, on Sunday, so I'll probably give it a miss. Or I'm busy and I'm working, I'm feeling so, so tired, so I'll just, probably, I'll just probably stay at home on Sunday. And the work of the gospel can become kind of like an optional extra kind of like the pickle in your burger at Macca's. You get your burger and you think about it, will I eat it with the pickle? Will I not eat it with the pickle? I don't know, yeah, pickle in today. And I guess what I'm not talking about here is, is as though it's like the measure of partnership is 100% attendance at church or anything like that. I'm talking about a heart here. I'm talking about a heart that says, you know what, I'm a partner in the work of the gospel here in this local church. This is a number one commitment for me to, to join in the work of the gospel, seeing Christ be known in and through this local church. This is a commitment for me that I put above all other things. 
talking about a disposition of the heart. I want to ask you this morning, are you feeling disconnected? Are you kind of just attending church? There's so much more for you. There is so much more for you. Come and partner with us. We would love you to partner with us. Give your money, give your time, give your everything because it's a means of grace to you. Well, in giving, we have an opportunity to partner in the work of the gospel. You know, for us here at Sovereign Grace Church in in Sydney, I was so affected by what Dave was sharing just before about praying and prayerful dependence on the Lord because, because we have a heart for seeing hundreds of people saved in this church. We... We have a heart to see neighbours and colleagues and friends and family members come to meet Jesus in and through this local church. We have, we have a heart to see churches planted all through this city. Not for the sake of having churches, but for the sake of seeing people come to know Christ more richly and to be saved and baptised and adopted into church families, church homes. And as you partner, as you join in partnership through uh, this local church and, Lord willing, through other local churches in the future, that fruit, that fruit of seeing people saved, people come to know Christ, becomes yours. Becomes as much your fruit as it is the fruit of the person who shares the gospel with them. Because it's partnership but I'm in hospitality or I'm just in the design team or I just serve on sound or I just do the welcoming or I just do set up. No, it's partnership. And so we share in the fruit together. That's the first point. Giving is an opportunity to partner in the gospel. Well, secondly, giving is an opportunity to bear fruit. Why don't you read verse 16 with me? Paul says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. The Philippians were legends in giving. They just kept giving again and again and again, like this local church. Verse 17, let's keep going. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul says, it's not about the money. It's not about the money. I want fruit overflowing in your account. That's what Paul says. It's not about the money. I'm after fruit for you, is what Paul says. Well, what sort of fruit is he talking about? What sort of fruit is Paul on about? Well, I think in one sense, he's talking about the fruit of seeing the gospel go forward. The the Philippians had this sweet joy in the Lord as they saw the work of the gospel going forward in and through uh, Paul and his ministry. And, and so for them, it was such a joy to, to participate because they saw that they were partners in this gospel work, the fruit going forward, and they had this rich joy as they know that that fruit is overflowing on their account, that in the last day they'll be rewarded by their master. But I think secondly, it's not just the fruit of the gospel going forward, it's the fruit of righteousness. You know, in chapter 1, Paul says he's so thankful to God for their partnership in the gospel. And his prayer as he ends, he prays that they would be what? Filled, in verse 11, chapter 1, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. That's the fruit that talks, uh, Paul is talking about, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. You know, in giving, we have an opportunity to grow in godliness. It's something that, in fact, Jesus talks about all the time. And I just wanted to pause to share some examples of where Jesus talks about this. In Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21, Jesus says this, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, you want to grow in love for me? Well, giving is an opportunity to place your treasure with me. Giving is an opportunity to make Christ our treasure. Another example, just a few verses down in in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus says you can't be in love with me and your money at the same time. Giving is an opportunity for us to loosen the power of money in our lives. Again, Matthew 13:22, and this one cuts me to the heart. Jesus says, in summarizing the parable of the sower, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, and listen, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You know, riches deceive us. They tell us that actually we're not that rich at all. They teach us to compare constantly to the people that are around us, people that often are more wealthy than we. And they tell us that we need the money. We need the money for ourselves. You know, I was uh, struck some time ago listening to Tim Keller speak on the topic of greed and giving and he said, you know what, in more than 30 years of ministry he has had people come to him and confess many different sins. Many, many different sins. But the one sin that no one in more than 30 years has ever come to him and confess is what? It's greed. Not once. No one has ever come to him and said, you know what, uh, Tim, I think I'm spending too much money on myself. Or my greedy lust for money is harming my soul and those around us. You know, just thinking uh, for my own example, when it came to the Going Forward Fund uh, last year, I remember... Um, as someone who's likely to think, oh, no, of course, you know, Brennan, I'm a generous guy. You know, I don't struggle with greed. Come on. 
Um, I remember when we were trying to figure out the amount that we should give, and I should be aware that it's a struggle for me anyway, just in that. I mean, it's like, it's like washing a cat. Like, it's like, oh, it's like my heart is being torn. Like, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know, should I do this? Maybe I can, you know, keep a little more for myself. And, and so Charlotte and I, my wife, we decided to, you know, talk, you know, think about what we're going to give individually and then come together. And um, I remember when I saw the amount that she had felt before the Lord that she wanted to give um, out of what she was earning. And uh, in the words of David Taylor, you know, suddenly Vinnie, the used car salesman, was back. And I was like, what? You know, I don't, I don't think so, you know? I, I, you know. Surely not. Like, that's, whoa. Like, you know, sure, no, we could, no, that's ridiculous. Why don't you give nothing? And then I'll, you know, maybe just, you know, take what I thought initially, but that's probably too much. I'll have that and then just give that. You know, I just, it's just like, it's just like everything in me is like not wanting to give. You know, and the reason is, is because I'm a man that struggles with greed. Struggles to trust the Lord with the things he's given to me. Well, in giving we have an opportunity to combat the deceitfulness of riches and trusting God. And I think for many of us, like myself, we're, we're deceived. Matthew 19, 23-24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of God. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says wealth is an obstacle to entering the kingdom of God. We are tempted to love our stuff more than God and feel like we don't need him. And so giving is an opportunity for us to fix our eyes on the kingdom of God and trust in him. Well, living in the city that we live in, greed is one of the biggest challenges, I think, that we all face. You know, the love of money is absolutely rampant in this city. You know, even uh, as I was thinking about this this week, the topic that in my workplace people talk about the most is travel, constantly. Traveling on extravagant holidays to Europe, to South America, to the different far reaches of the world. And it's not that travel is bad, but it's, a focus in, uh, an absolute sole focus on enjoyment and on money and on using my money for myself and my own personal enjoyment. And we all long to grow to be more like Jesus. And giving is an opportunity presented to us by God because nothing weakens greed like generosity, like giving. Or maybe you're someone here who gives very little to church, gives very little of your money and gives very little of your time. Or maybe you give nothing at all. Or Paul would encourage you. He would say, it's not about the money. It's not about the money at all. It's about what your giving says about your heart. It's about what your giving says about who your true master is. It's about what your giving says about who your true treasure is and where it lies. Giving is an opportunity to bear fruit, fruit of the gospel going forward and fruit of godliness. Well, point three, giving is 
also an opportunity to worship. Now read with me verse 18. Verse 18, Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul says, guys, you know, you have just abundantly uh, met all my needs. I am even more than, I'm, I'm overflowing with your gift, but it's more than that. He paints this picture of the temple and someone presenting this sacrifice, a sacrificial offering, and it's like there's this beautiful smell that wafts up to God, and God loves it. And this is what your giving is like to God, Philippians, Paul says. It's like this fragrant, beautiful sacrifice offering to God. It's like an act of worship. Well, how had the Philippians given? I want to just take us back to a 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to just show you a little bit. And you can't not be affected by their example. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, Paul writes to the Corinthians, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given to us amongst the churches of Macedonia. Now, the church of Philippi was one of these churches. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour or literally grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. The Philippians were extremely poor. They were dirt poor, but they were rich. They were rich in generosity. They were begging poor. They gave beyond their means. That means they impoverished themselves even more. They gave the money that they had set aside for their daily sustenance, for food, for clothes, for shelter, and they gave it to Paul. I mean, if someone wanted to give in that way here, like, I think I would take them aside and rebuke them, saying, like, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? You're out of your mind. Like, no, you keep that money. We'll take it from other people. What are you doing? But Paul commends them. He commends them. Why? Why does he commend them? Verse 5. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, for the Philippians, their giving was first and foremost as an offering to God. It was worship for them. And they were offering this sacrifice of thanks to God. You know, it's not to impress God. You know, it's not as if they could somehow earn kudos points with God by doing it. No, they were doing something that they knew God loves. And it had a real cost for them. It was sacrificial. And I think the Philippian example challenges us. I think it really challenges us because sacrifice is not something we're familiar with in our culture. 
I'm not talking about you know, Old Testament style guilt offerings or for sin. I'm talking about a sacrifice to give thanks to God. It's giving back to the God who's given us everything we have. I think the idea of giving something up to worship God or using the money or the time that I would give to other things to give to Him is something that's really foreign to us. You know, giving for us is so often out of our abundance with little personal cost. You know, giving for me, it's often can be with the leftovers. And I think part of the problem is that we can easily confuse desires that we have with needs. We can confuse the things that we want with the things that we need. Like, is it good to own a home? Yeah, of course it's good to own a home. But do we need to? Well, no, we don't. It, is, is it good to travel overseas? Yeah, it's great to travel overseas. But do we need to? No. Is it good to have a private education? Yeah, it's great to have a private education. But do we need it? No, we don't. Is it good to have a university degree, a tertiary education? Yeah, that's a great thing. But do we need it? Well, no, we don't. Is it good to have a successful career? Yes, absolutely. But do two people both need to work so much so that when it comes to the end of the week, they're so smashed, they can't give time to church and their focus is just getting by? Do do we need to do that? No, not at all. Is it good to be able to eat out, to wear designer clothes, to own a nice car? Yeah, they're all good things, but they're desires. They're not needs. And all good things, but not must-haves, are opportunities for us. Opportunities to worship. Opportunities, things that we are able to in our freedom lay them down for the sake of something greater, Christ. An opportunity to give back to the one who owns them all in the first place. To give back to God and say, you know what, as an offering of thanks, I'm going to lay that down to worship. And the Philippians, for them, they were giving up meals with joy as a privilege to worship God. Well, I just want us to consider this this week. Is, is God calling us to give something up to grow in generosity? to grow in worship this week. Well, when we simply give out of our abundance, I think we miss an opportunity, an opportunity to worship. Well, that's point three. Point four, our final point, giving is an opportunity to experience God's generosity. Well, talking about sacrifice and laying things down can all be pretty pretty scary, I, I know for me at least, but it comes to us with a promise in verse 19. In verse 19, Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply every need. The Philippians had begged for the grace of giving. They'd plead with Paul. Paul was clearly reluctant to accept their gift because he saw it was beyond their means. And Paul's encouragement now is, guys, he will meet your needs. 
my God will supply all of your needs. And you know, for Jesus, after speaking about money, he says exactly the same thing in in Matthew 6, 27. He says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to, to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus, after teaching about money and giving, says, trust God. He will meet all your needs. You know, I was reminded this week of an example in my life where I've seen this, you know, God meeting my needs. In fact, I've seen it repeatedly. But a specific example Uh, just by way of an encouragement of where I've seen God meet my needs, was when I was living in Indonesia. And it had come to the end of the time that I was meant to be in Indonesia. And there'd been an error with the accounting. And so uh, they'd kept all this money that should have been given earlier to me to right to the end. It was all given in a lump sum into my account. And it was about $3,000. And I had calculated that uh, when I was coming home to... Australia, I'd be studying and I wouldn't have work and I'd need money just to survive. And I'd figured out that for the few months that I needed to sort of get by before uh, I could get government subsidies, uh, you know, youth allowance, that was just the right amount of money for me. But I was mindful as well that the team that we were with, they were Filipino, they had next to no money and they had a lot of needs. And so I was really at a place of like, God, what should I do with this money? What should I do? Is, it, is this money that you've set aside for me when I go home so I can survive or is it money that you've set aside to give to the team? And I remember having prayed that in the morning and told not a soul, no one knew about my account details, coming back to our main base and my team leader, Elmer, having this funny look on his face, looking at me. And he said, Brendan, I've just got a sense about you I've just got a sense that you've got some money and you're wondering what to do with it. And I just feel like the Lord is saying in this moment that that money is for the team and that you can trust God if you give it. I was like, wow, that's the easiest decision, Lord, I've ever had to make. It's like, yeah, exactly right. Like, Elmer had never asked me for money once before. This was just a one-off, I believe, prophetic word that God had given Elmer. And so I gave the money coming home back then to Australia, absolutely broke, uh, but just trusting God, like, God, what are you going to do, uh, you know, to provide for me? And it was just amazing how the Lord met my needs. You know, 500 bucks in a bank account, my grandma, you know, Dolomite saving account or something like that just turned up and, and someone just randomly gave me some money and another person and so on and so forth. A friend offered, you know, for me to stay with them for free for the first couple of months until I found another place. And the Lord just really provided every step of the way my needs. And so it's, it's amazing how I still fail to trust God and still forget that our amazing God really does provide for our needs. He really will supply all our needs. And I know for some of us, because you're like me, 
the reason why we find giving hard is because of fear. It's because we're afraid of what will happen. And Paul doesn't just encourage the Philippians to say God will provide all their needs. He also gives two ways in which he will do it. Firstly, according to his riches. You know, I think sometimes I can make the mistake, we can make the mistake of treating God as though he's got nothing really to give us, as though somehow, you know, he's limited, but he's not. Psalm 50 is such a classic example. God says, I am sick of all your sacrifices. They are just annoying to me. Do I drink the blood of bulls or eat the meat of goats that I would need these sacrifices? I own all cattle. I own all animals. I own everything. No, what I want from you is thanks. God is the sovereign creator of the whole universe. He owns everything. He is our maker. He is our sustainer. Everything good originated in him. The whole universe is upheld by the word of his mouth. And so he will provide for our needs according to his riches, his abundant, limitless riches. But secondly, in glory in Christ Jesus. Sometimes I think we can treat God as though he would be unwilling to bless us, as if we stepped out in faith, he would somehow withhold good from us. And yet Paul encourages the Corinthians in Corinthians 2.8.9 with this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We see God's generosity most clearly at the cross. Our God is a generous God. To think that the maker and sustainer of the universe would humble himself, would, though all things belong to him, though he made us and sustained us, though the very people that he had made had turned their backs on him, that he would come and humble himself, laying down all of his riches all of the fullness of the treasure that rightly belongs to him, he would empty himself completely of his riches, becoming the poorest of poor men, not only in his life, but on that cross, bearing the weight of our sin in full as he died on that cross. That simply through trust in him, and not through doing good things, but simply through trust in him, we might be made right with God once more. That is what our God is like. That is what our maker is like. Amazing in generosity. Amazing in grace. Amazing in mercy and love. And yet we can treat him as though somehow if we trusted him, he would not extend generosity to us. You know, Paul says in Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, if you are this morning, when it comes to the topic of giving, full of fear, I want to encourage you. God has not withheld any of his riches to us, but he has made us rich in the person of his son. He will not withhold any good thing from us. He shows us what it is like on the cross with his son. Knowing and knowing God's willingness to give, we have this exciting opportunity in giving, don't we? To trust God and step out in faith and see our generous God meet all our needs. You know, I was thinking about just an example of this um, some time ago in this church. It was after the service and uh, one of the mums in this church came forward with me with her two children and her two little children came forward and I was like, I was thinking, what is this about? And it's because these two little children had pocket money that they had missed the opportunity to give into the plate and so they wanted to give to me so I could put in a plate. And it was like, you know, 30 cents and, you know, 65 cents, you know, and they, you know, gave it to me, entrusted it to me. And I just, I just remember, remember that illustration and just how beautiful that was. These little kids giving their little pocket money as an offering to God. And how that just warmed my heart and just, just like, there's something so precious about that. You know, when we come before our Father to give, we just have this similar amazing opportunity to do something that He loves. And I pray that for us, we just wouldn't miss the opportunity to partner in the gospel, to bear fruit, to worship and experience the generosity of the God who is generous. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your abundant grace to us to know that you are the God who has not and will not withhold any good thing from us. That you are the God who does not give us what we deserve but gives us the exact opposite because you are amazingly generous. Lord, I pray for us as a church, a generous church, a church that in many ways excels in giving. I pray that you would fan the gift of generosity aflame in us, Lord, that you would, you would grow us more and more in generosity, not, not because of the money, Lord, but for the fame of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.